this week and really building over the last year or so, maybe the last couple of years, but especially this week with the events in our nation, the events in Missouri, the event in Dallas, uh, people are asking today, what is wrong with the world? And, and everywhere you go, people want to know, what is, what is happening? What has gone awry? Look at the hatred, look at the division, just, just outright killing, murder, vileness. Uh, people want to know, what has gone wrong in the world today, and they're looking for explanations. You look on social media, and you watch on the TV channels, and you go to the coffee shop, and that's, that's the discussion. What is wrong? What has gone wrong? What is wrong with the world today? Today, I want to tell you there is a better question than that, and it's not what is wrong with the world today. I can tell you what's wrong with the world today, but there is a better question, and that question is this. Listen to this. What is wrong with the church today? What is wrong with the church today? You see, the truth is the world reflects, the world is a reflection of the impact that the church is or is not having. And when you see all these things in the world and you see all this going on and there seems to be no moral bearing, the the world is a reflection of the impact that the, the church is or is not having. You see, the truth of the matter is, the world is in darkness. Now, I don't know why we act like it's not. The world is in darkness, but the church is to shine the light. You see, the world is corrupt. Now, I don't know why we act like we're surprised when we find that out. The world is corrupt, but the church knows and bears the truth. The world is decaying. It's falling apart. But the the church has a sure foundation and has eternal life. The world is finding itself in despair. And you look around today, utter despair. But the church knows where to find hope in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And I'll just tell you, I truly believe this today in Vernon, Texas, in our area, in our state, in our nation today, in the world, if the world is having a hard time finding the answer, I believe it's because a distracted and a distorted church is not making an impact and therefore is failing to proclaim the answer. I truly believe that. Well, how did this happen? What's gone wrong in our, in our society, in our culture, in our schools, in our government? I want to tell you, it is a failure on the part of the church to impact the culture. Now, some of you may say, well, you really think it's that easy. You really think it's that simple. All of these problems, all of these deep issues, complicated things like racism and, and corruption, you really think it's that simple. Well, let me be clear with you today, and let me just say this. Simple as it may be, ignorant as it may sound, intolerant and exclusive as it is, let me be clear today, with all that I am and upon the authority of God's own word, hear me today, Jesus Christ is the world's answer. Jesus is the world's answer. You see, the world has a sin problem. That's what's wrong in the world. The world has a sin problem, but understand Jesus, the King of glory, our Messiah, the anointed Christ come from God, he is the remedy for sin. He is our answer. And I truly believe it is that simple. Jesus Christ is the world's answer. Our message today is entitled, 
religious practice or practicing religion. Religious practice or practicing religion. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 13 today. We're going to look at verses 10 through 17. So again, continuing on our study in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 13, today verses 10 through 17. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Religious practice or practicing religion. Beginning here in the 10th verse. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her and immediately She was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said all this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. And I'm thankful that as we see what's going on in our world, we have a sure foundation in Jesus Christ. We have an unshakable foundation in the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have your truth in the word of God. I pray that as the church, we would stand. As the church, we would be a beacon of light. As church, we would proclaim the hope that is within us through Jesus Christ. We come now and I pray that in this hour you would speak to us. That it wouldn't be a service that we went to. It wouldn't be an event that we attended. But as a supernatural thing that it is that you would speak through your word to your people. That we would be changed today. I pray for some here that do not know Jesus Christ. I pray that in the hearing of of your word and the the drawing of your spirit that today they might put their faith in Jesus. I believe you brought them here for that purpose today. I pray again that you would move in this hour. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We submit to you. And I pray in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Very quickly today, let's go back and start to look at our verses. Beginning here in verse 10, let's begin. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. In the 10th verse, it starts to lay out the context. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, as we read that 10th verse, I think sometimes we are in such a hurry or we are, we are so busy looking for the big idea or the big meaning that we miss or we sometimes overlook to see the picture as it is developing. Well, as we begin, as we move through all these verses, but as we begin in the 10th verse, see the picture as it is developing. It says this, Jesus is teaching in 
a synagogue. Now, I want you to see just how crazy this point in time truly is. In John chapter 14, Jesus is revealed. He reveals himself as the truth. Well, understand the context, what we see here in Luke chapter 13, the truth is teaching truth. Do you see how profound that is? The subject is teaching the subject. The message of the long-awaited Messiah is actually being taught by the Messiah. Do you see how crazy that is? The truth is teaching the truth. Now, more than that, the Bible tells us that Jesus, that all things were made through him, that he is the, the agent of creation. And so, also understand, Jesus, as the agent of creation, on the seventh day, he rested. But now here in Luke chapter 13, Jesus, as the truth, on the seventh day, he teaches. And so we see here, again, the context is laid out. The picture is developing. Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. Let's look at verse 11. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Verse 11 tells us that there in this crowd is a woman, and the Bible says she was actually doubled over. She is misfigured. She could not straighten up at all. Now, I want to show you a couple things here in verse 11. First thing we need to see is this. Her sickness, the Bible says, her ailment was caused by a demon. There was a demonic cause to her problem. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you this. I think we need to talk about it. Be sure today, not all sicknesses are caused by a demon, have a demonic cause. Now, they can be, and this was this woman's case. Today, I see a growing trend, and, and you may see the same thing. Anytime there's something wrong, and, and maybe anytime there's anything wrong, People today say, well, it's got to be demonic. Well, it's got to be satanic. I, I hear people saying, well, I got up to work today, and my car wouldn't start, and so Satan's trying to get me fired. I hear somebody else say, well, my kids are sick. My kids have the flu, and so the demons are trying to oppress me and oppress my house. Now, be sure, that could be true. I believe in demons, but I want to tell you today and be warned today, sometimes the battery's just dead. Sometimes the kids are just sick. And I think a lot of the times we're giving too much due and too much credit and too much focus on Satan. Well, the Bible tells us in this case, this lady, her illness was from an evil spirit. That's the first thing we see. Second thing to see is this. The Bible says she had been this way for 18 years. Now, I want you to see that. 18 years doubled over. 18 years couldn't stand up. 18 years couldn't do the things that she needed to do or the things that she wanted to do. Understand, this was not some backache that she woke up with one day. This was a serious thing. For 18 years, year after year, this lady is doubled over. See that picture. Before we move on, I want you to see this, and, and do not miss this part of the picture. You see, this is a literal account. Yes, it is a literal account, but I also think 
there is a symbolic meaning to it. See this. Here is this lady. Here is this person created in the image of God. Here is a person that was created to stand up, to be upright, to reflect the glory of God. But because of evil, because of the effects of sin, she is misfigured. She is suffering. She's unable to carry out her God-given purpose. She has to be filled with sorrow and and sorrowful in her life and, and grieving in her life. Year after year after year, she suffers this terrible plight. See that picture here. Understand, you and I, existing in sin, we are misfigured. We mar the image of our Creator God. We are gripped with sorrow. We're gripped with suffering and we're not able to carry out our God-given purpose. And just like this lady is doubled over, we are crushed due to the effects of evil. We are condemned under the weight of our sin. And you watch people in their sin, they suffer and they plod along through the despair of their days. Some of you may be there right now. Look at verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. Now, verse 12 is an awesome verse. A lot behind this verse. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. Now, notice this in verse 12. Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her condition. Jesus sees, as we were just singing, her helpless estate. Jesus sees her torment, and he calls her over. See the picture here. He doesn't find the big shot there in the Jewish synagogue. He doesn't go find them and seek them out. He doesn't find the the Jewish leaders, those that would have had esteem and clout in the religious system. No, he sees this woman. And I'll just tell you very honestly, she was probably not wanted at the synagogue. Probably she was considered a nuisance at this supposed place of worship. And there's probably all sorts of derision aimed at her. And there's all sorts of contempt for her. And as as she walks around, people say, well, what's her problem? Why is she even here? Surely God has forgotten her. Surely God has even cursed her. And yet it is this woman that Jesus calls over woman you're freed from your sickness verse 13 and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God verse 13 physically she was healed She was, the Bible says, made erect again. She stood up. This this ailment of 18 years is remedied. Physically, she was healed. But spiritually, it's even greater. See this. This image bearer of God is now upright as God intended. You see, where in her former state... She was bowed in the power of evil because of Jesus. She's now upright in the power of God. Whereas in her former state, she was a monument to death and decay because of Jesus. She's now a testimony to the transforming power of the gospel. 
Whereas in her former state, she was caved over under the weight of evil. In her new state, therefore, there is no condemnation for he who is in Christ Jesus. In her former state, she was of poor reputation, of ill reputation. But now in her new state, she is the righteousness and the perfectness of Jesus himself. In her former state, she was doomed. Look at that. She was doomed to a future of no hope. But now in her new state, her hope was built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you see this today? This is a picture of the gospel. What was wrong is now right. What was broken is now repaired. What was cast away is now brought in. This is a picture of what Jesus brings. This is an illustration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this lady and she's marred due to sin and the effects of evil. And now because of Jesus Christ, she is healed, she is restored, she is redeemed, and she stands upright reflecting glory to her creator God. That's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at her response. Shouldn't be a surprise. Look at her response. It says this. She began glorifying God. Do you know that's why he built her? Do you know that's why he built any of us? That's why he built you. He built her to glorify God, but in that state all she was able to do was to eat through life, caved over, but now because of Jesus Christ, she again glorifies God. Remember that. That's going to be important. Look at verse 14. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd, now notice that, he began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now the word indignant means more than agitated. It really means incensed. He was Anger. Now see how messed up this truly is. This guy, this religious leader here at the synagogue, he's more concerned with religious practice, with keeping rules, with keeping appearances, with the legal criteria. He's more concerned with religious practice than he was with practicing his religion. That's what it's showing us here. I see here in verse 14, I think it's pretty interesting. Notice here in verse 14, he addresses, he corrects the crowd, but he doesn't correct Jesus. Now, this may be the only smart thing this guy did. Jesus responds, verse 15. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him. In verse 15, Jesus says, You posers, you fakes, you frauds, do you not do what is necessary for the care of your ox or your donkey? Yet, verse 16, and yet in this woman, a daughter of Abraham, she is. This isn't a donkey, this isn't an ox. This is the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan is bound for 18 long years. Should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day. Again, here in verse 16, Jesus reveals in the religious practice, they had lost sight of the call to practice their religion. Do you see that? 
You see, it's not about rules. It's not about legalism. It's about God, and it's about worshiping God, and it's about the love of God. And notice here these guys, those with him, and notice it's plural. It says hypocrites. Notice them. They didn't even see the woman. They didn't even care about the woman. They didn't even see the miracle, the great thing that happened in their midst. So they did not rejoice. Look at verse 17. As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. The truth is speaking the truth. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Notice this, seeing what Jesus had done, this crowd, and the Bible says this entire crowd, they rejoiced. Seeing what Jesus had done, this entire crowd, they joined in with this woman and they began glorifying God. They began praising God. Understand, that's the natural response. That is the normal response. In the presence of Jesus, seeing the power of Jesus, they praise God. They glorify God. Listen to me. That's the response for us. When you know who Jesus is, when you know what he's done, when you know what he's doing, when you know what we have in Jesus, we glorify God that's what it's saying you know what they wanted to follow some system they couldn't even see what had happened but seeing what Jesus had done she's glorifying God and they join in and glorify God with her remember the question at the start and this may get personal remember the question at the start what's wrong with the church today Why is the church having no impact today? Why does the church seem defeated and lethargic and even dead today? I want to tell you what I believe, and this is what I believe. I believe the church has become so enamored with religious practice and with religious words and with keeping up appearances and just going through the motions that we're not practicing our religion. Meaning this, and this is what I mean today. We're not proclaiming and we're not teaching and we're not spreading the love of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, because the truth is, today we're not all that impressed anymore by Jesus. That's what I think. I think we've become, we've become lulled to sleep and we've become distracted and we haven't taken the, the, the urgent message of hope through Jesus Christ and we haven't proclaimed it to the lost people because we're not that excited and astounded today by Jesus. And I'll just tell you something, until we're blown away by Jesus, until we're like Paul says, out of our minds for the resurrected Savior Jesus, it doesn't matter what the preacher says, it doesn't matter what we try to do in here, until we're astounded by Jesus, the church isn't going to take up the cause of Jesus and a lost world will miss Jesus Christ. How come the world can't see the answer? Maybe it's because the church isn't proclaiming the answer, Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm afraid we're not that impressed by Jesus. God, forgive us. God, change our hearts. God, help us to be so impressed by Jesus that we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me tell you something. I, I didn't plan on saying this. I said it in the first service. This week, the events happen, and I, I start to watch, and you start thinking, man, 
We're going to have a revival. Man, the church will be full this Sunday. Look at what's happened in Dallas. And, and every post is talking about, we need to pray. We need to pray. Let's meet and pray. Somebody pray. Every verse says, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the hope. I start to say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified over the state of our nation. But maybe it's going to wake up this week. Maybe the church will be full and a revival will break out. And I sit there and wonder, what's it going to take to be impressed by Jesus? Evidently not that. Our hope is in Jesus. The answer is in Jesus. But we got to be so impressed by it, so passionate about it, so urgent that we endeavor to tell people there is a hope and there's forgiveness and there's restoration in the person of Jesus Christ. Let the church be astounded by Jesus. Let's pray. Every Father, we come and I, I come and I, I tell you, I am sorry. And I'm sorry that we like Jesus for our salvation. We like Jesus for our ticket to heaven. But after that, we become less excited about Jesus as our personal Savior, as an abiding relationship, a walking relationship, as a reigning and sovereign King. We become less astounded by Jesus. Forgive us for that. I pray that today, as we've, as we've seen the example of a couple thousand years ago, that we would understand it would be easy to fall into a religious system. It'd be easy to fall into speaking religious words for a big esteem and miss the mission of Jesus Christ. Help us not do that. I pray for some in this room that maybe do not have hope, that do not have peace. I pray that today and maybe through the circumstances of life and maybe the, the thing that even brought them to this service, I pray that in the preaching of your word and the drawing of your spirit that they might put their faith in Christ in this hour and pass from death to life, a true miracle. Pray for many of us here today that as, as we walk with Christ, we, we get distracted. We become lethargic. We become distracted and, and, and lulled to different things. Help us to regain an, an amazement for our Savior, Jesus. Work in our church. Work in our lives. Work in our town. Work in our hearts. Help us not to look for other people and point to them. Help us look in ourselves. Help us to be amazed by Jesus. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service with a time of response, a time of invitation, a time to respond to the truth of God's word. And I want to tell you, if you're here today, there's, there's a couple of possible responses today. First off is this, maybe you're here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now what that means is this, the Bible says we're sinners. The Bible says from creation, we were meant to have a relationship with God. And as Adam did, we're meant to walk with him as a friend. But we're sinners, and our sin breaks that relationship. And what was meant to be is no longer there. And the relationship that's, that's supposed to exist is broken. But the good news is, you know what? God loves us, and he doesn't want us to stay in that state. You know what? If you die in that state, you're going to spend eternity in that state. And I think we know that. I think we feel that in our hearts. And we think, you know what, if I can drink enough, if I can do this enough, if I can run around and do this enough, if, if I can have enough success, if I can get enough money accumulated, if we can have enough fun, I'll fill that hole. But it never works. And, and we think, well, I'm going to turn a corner and we turn it. And then we see another corner ahead. You know what? We're chasing something that isn't there. It's the relationship with God that has to be restored. The good news of the gospel is this. God loves you enough. He sent Christ to repair it to redeem it. He comes, he lives a life with no sin, he dies on the cross of Calvary in your place. 
in my place, paying the penalty for our sin. It's paid, paid in full. The Bible says they put him in a grave. Three days later, the payment for sin is paid. Death has been defeated and he walks out of that grave. He's alive. Easter Sunday, victorious. The Bible says if you will believe that, if you'll put your faith in Jesus as the resurrected Savior, the remedy for sin, Romans 10, 9 and 10, 13, you will be saved. Eternal life, a new start, restored, made right with a holy God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's, that's what we're proclaiming. That's where hope's at. That's where the world's answer resides, a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, well, I don't have that. I'm here today and I'm the one without peace. I'm the one here and I'm trying to, to fix that hole and to try to patch it and I can't get there. I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what condition you stumbled in here today in. God loves you and his love's eternal. The Bible says if you'll profess faith in him, you will be saved. Some of you need to make that decision today. I believe God brought you here to hear that. Just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if, if God has spoken to you, if he's speaking to you now, you come and just meet me at the front. Don't need a bunch of words to say. Don't need a bunch of verses to say. You know what? Today I settle that. Today I want that kind of peace. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ. We'll take care of that this morning. If that's you, you step out and you come on. If you're here today, maybe you're some that have put their faith in Christ, but they've never followed a believer's baptism. And the Bible says it's not some token thing that we just tack on. Jesus says in obedience to him, this is how we identify with him. We show people what we believe he did. He, he went in a grave and he came out, and it's a picture of that. It's also a picture of what's happened to us when we put our faith in Christ. Our old self has died. Our new self now lives with Jesus. And so there's some here, and I probably believe that you say, yes, I am a Christian, but I've never, I've never had that testimony stand for me, and your friends need to see it. This town needs to see, you know what, this is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so you would come today and say, yes, I'm a Christian. And in obedience to Christ, I want to be baptized, and we'll set a day. We'll take care of that as well. Maybe you want to come, and you're looking for a church home, you prayed about it and you believe God's led you here, you'd come as well and you'll unite with Calvary Baptist Church and we'll serve His cause for His glory until He comes again. If that's your decision, you'd come at this time as well. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian. But you say, you know what, I've lost some of my amazement with Christ. I've lost some of the astoundment that I ought to have for the living Lord. One that took my sins and nailed them to the cross in the person of Himself that his blood paid my penalty. I've lost the amazement of, of, a, of a man that was in a grave dead and walked out alive and is reigning right now in heaven. And, and you'd say, you know what? I pray that God just gives me a new, renewed passion and excitement about my Savior, Jesus Christ, and that propels my Christian walk. Maybe you want to come pray with me or, or pray here as an altar. We're going to sing a hymn of response. We're not in a hurry to get anywhere. I'm going to ask that no one stir about or head for an exit. We'll be done in just a moment. You pray for those that are making decisions. If God's dealing with you, you be open. And you don't worry about your pride or what others think. You have a decision to make. You come on. I'll meet you here at the front. As we stand and sing, you step out and you come on. I'll meet you here at the front. We 